All right, grab your Bibles, which I know you brought and can't wait to get into. Grab those and uh, turn with me to Romans chapter 10. Um, I want to say a great big thank you, um, first of all, to, to you as the, as the body of Christ, as the church family, for just, um, for just kind of moving with the Spirit, you know, just being willing to... Um, you know, last week we had some time for prayer and knowing that that's one of the cornerstones of the church and, and we prayed together. We, we, we heard about maybe some things we didn't even know was going on in each other's lives. And, uh, one of the things that was so, um, edifying to me and encouraging was to see the, the body not just, uh, be faithful in prayer, but to, to be faithful to, um, to be the Lord's hands and feet and to express kindness to those that are going through some pretty difficult times in deep waters. And so thank you for just being, uh, being obedient to the Lord and, and, uh, and listening. But just continue, please, to be in prayer. I, I feel like prayer really declares the, 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 uh, the desires of our heart. Like when we pray, that's, that's, uh, that's really, that really says a lot about who we are and what is really, really important to us. Um, I want to say this morning, um, one of the thematic pieces in this text is, is, um, is hearing is hearing. And one of the things that Trevor and I endeavor to do on, on a weekly basis is, is, is to be good students. Uh, the word disciple literally means learner. Um, and so we as disciples or followers of Christ are called to be students, uh, students of the word, s- students of the uh, listening and sensitive to the spirit. And, and for us, in order for us to teach and I know there's many teachers among us. In order for us to teach, we've got to be really good students. Does that make sense? We've got to be good listeners and we've got to hear. And we have to first listen to the Lord. We have to hear from the Lord, from His Word. Um, and then the only way that we're going to be good teachers um, or preachers is... is and, and the word preacher, and we're going to look at this this morning, the word preach means to announce or proclaim. And, um, and the only way that we're going to do that is if we're, if we're, if we're good listeners and that we hear and we're good students. So, but here's, here's why I say that. Because there's a world out there that's a little bigger than this room. And there's a community out there that's desperate for hope. They're, they're hungry for the gospel and they're looking for some beautiful feet that are going to walk that gospel into their lives. We're going to talk a little bit about that today. But what I'm, what I'm saying in this moment is this. Man, we've got to come together on Sunday mornings, Wednesday nights, whenever we get in front of God's Word, and we've got to be good hearers. And we've got to be good students. Because it, it doesn't end, like, we don't walk out that door, and whatever the Lord has imparted to us, which, by the way, is the greatest gift that He gives us Himself through the Word, like, let's not ever minimize the gift, the riches that he's given us in Christ for the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Like when he gives us his word, he's literally like from his heart, he's giving us himself. He's revealing himself to us. What a gift. Like that's the greatest gift. And so we should sit on the edge of our seat. Man, we listen to a bunch of junk. We listen to some good things, right? But, but, but the treasure in life, the jewel, the, the pearl of great cost and, and, and great value is is Christ himself. And God's word is that treasure. So, you know, I encourage you, be, be that kind of hearer. Be that kind of student today. 
you know, uh, come with great intensity and fervor and passion and desire to be instructed by the Holy Spirit and by God's word so that, it, that, that, that what God teaches doesn't end here and doesn't just find formation in us but finds expression out there. Does that make sense? Because that's God's ambition. That's God's heart. That's God's desire. Man, I'm real excited about what the Lord has for us today. I, I just want to pray again. Father, um, I am nothing. You're everything. Father, that I might be lost and you might be found. Lord, that I might not be seen, but that you surely would. And Lord, that, um, that today that, that uh, your messenger would just acknowledge that, that I am a jar of clay, but that you have a wondrous gospel that you want to declare to this, your people. You want to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Lord, I pray that you would do a mighty work and that you would find hearts that are hungry, hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Father, thank you for your word this day. In Jesus' name, amen. So I hope at this point you're already in chapter 10. And uh, if not, we're in Romans chapter 10, and we're going to look at the chapter. Uh, Trevor, uh, a couple weeks ago, Pastor Trevor did a wonderful job of bringing this up to verse 4. I'm going to recap those first four verses very quickly because uh, it's been a couple of weeks, and, uh, and then dive into this text that really helps us to understand where our righteousness comes from. And when I use the word righteousness, what I'm talking about is our right standing with God. How do we dare get into the holy of holy of holy's presence? How do, how can, how can it possibly be that God would deposit himself by his spirit into us? Like, how can that happen? Because God has done a sanctifying work. God has justified us in Christ and there is nothing we can do. We can't add to it. We can't subtract to it, uh, from it. We, um, we just humbly open our hands and beg that God would just deposit this sweet gift in us, to us. And that, and then God's ambition is when he does this great work in us is that it would not stop with us, but that it would continue. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that there have been many men and women that the Lord has, has just fired up their hearts to share the gospel so that we have come to know the righteousness of God in the person of Jesus Christ? Such, such a gift. And, uh, and guys, let me say that there's no greater purpose on this planet it's not to make money. It's not to have uh, your goals met. I mean, it, our purpose as believers, and it is the greatest joy because we get blessed by being a blessing, like the greatest joy on this planet is to share Jesus because there's no other hope. There's no other cure uh, for humanity's ills than, than what God wants to offer us in Christ. And it is, it is a grand invitation God has sent out his, his, uh, his servants to the streets and says, basically, come. As he declares in uh, Luke chapter 14, Jesus shares in the parable. Let me read through verse 13 and we'll dive in. Brothers, my heart desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend to heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend 
into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your hearts. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. With the heart, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And this is good news. This is a rich passage with, with, uh, with God's great intention to sow this into our hearts so that we are equipped to be his ambassadors, his, his, uh, his, uh, his good news bearers. So let's look at verse 1. Verse 1 says, brothers, again, Paul is always using these endearing relational uh, terminology in order for us to, to continually understand the, the richness, the depth, the intimacy that the body of Christ is to have for one another, that we, are, we have been purchased to belong together. Jesus even equates himself so intimately with the church that he, he says, why, Paul, have you persecuted me? Oh, Father, that they may be one as you and I are one. This is, this is something that Paul continues to reinforce through, through this terminology, calling the church in Rome that he's yet to even know or be there. Uh, and he says, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them. Who's them? Israel. Israel, his people. He says, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Man, who are you praying for to be saved? Who, who are you begging for day in and day out? God, that you would rescue and ransom this person with great faith that it doesn't matter where they are or where they're not, that God, God can rescue Man, I got to tell you, I prayed for my dad for 22 years. And there were, there were times where it was just perseverance and prayer and persistence as the scriptures call us to. But my dad came to Christ through the adversity of cancer. And now he leads my mom in prayer. I can't even visualize that. Like that is so exciting to me. Like my mom says to me on the phone, yeah, your dad now leads in prayer. And I'm like, oh, you know, and they, and they get together in the scriptures in the morning. Man, that is, that's glorious. But that, and, and that has nothing to do with me. That's just God's faithfulness. And he is postured to answer the prayers of the saints. And do you know that, that, you know, that a righteous man, you know, his prayers availeth much. Do you know that in Christ we are righteous? You know, we can stand in the throne room with boldness and confidence that the God of the universe hears our hearts. And does our hearts not truly con- like declare what's really important to us? Guys, there's nothing. You can't love anybody more deeply than to want them to be saved, for, for them to, to come to know the Lord. That is the greatest thing that we can pray for. And here Paul says it's his heart's desire and prayer for them, the, the, his brothers and sisters, Israel, that they may be saved. This echoes the sentiment that he said one chapter earlier. Remember these words? He said this, I am speaking the truth in Christ. He's in, in other words, he's saying, I am not lying here. This is, this is fact. 
And even the Spirit knows it's true. God knows that I'm, I'm not lying. He says, I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed. In other words, it's not possible that I can be separated from the love of God in Christ Jesus. But I could wish that I were, were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Like my brothers and sisters, those that have descended from Abraham, those in, my, in the household of Israel. And this is his passion. Man, I am so challenged by Paul's desire to pray. So here's a couple of questions to think about as we, as we journey into this passage. What will happen to the Jewish people who believe in God but not in Christ? It might be posed this way. Since they believe in the same God, won't they be saved? But we know that there's no other name. Right? That Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Since they believe in the same God, does that not count? If that were true, Paul would not have worked so hard and so sacrificially to teach the Jews about Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is the most, and we must get this, Jesus is the most complete revelation of who God is. Like, Jesus is the, is, is the, is the clearest picture of who God is. No one can fully know God apart from knowing Christ. No one. He is the threshold. He is the door. He's the gate. He's the way. No one comes to the Father except through Him. Because God appointed Jesus to bring God to human beings and God and human beings together, no one can come to God by another path. The Jews, like everyone else, can find salvation only through Jesus Christ. And often in the Old Testament, and Paul references these pieces, is that he is the, he is the stone the builders rejected, rejected. He is the stumbling stone that they tripped over. And that was prophesied. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, it says this, There is salvation in no one else. For there is, why? For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Peter proclaimed this. And Luke declared it. Just as Paul did, we should wish that all the Jews might be saved. We should have this same fervor and passion for those that are outside of Christ. We should pray for them and lovingly share the good news with them. In fact, we should ask ourselves, and here's where I want you to grab a three-by-five card if you haven't already. Who do you desire to be saved? And are you regularly praying for them? Guys, I had a vision as I was preparing for this message, that if, man, if we could just take a moment right now and just pray, Lord, put someone on my heart to just beg for your mercy for them. God, show me, show me, show me a handful of people that I might be faithfully praying for them and, 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 and as a byproduct, being prepared to be your instrument, possibly that you might use to usher them into the kingdom. So this morning, I encourage you as we're going through this, you know, ask yourself, who are you praying for? Verse 2 says, For I bear them, the Israelites, witness. Basically what he's saying here is, I can testify about them. You know why he can testify about them? Because he is one. He experienced all that they experienced. He, he was postured in, my righteousness is enough. My good deeds, my obedience to the law will get me favor with God. 
will usher me into God's presence. If, if you want to jot this down, I encourage you to do this uh, later on today. Look at Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 to 9. Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 to 9. And in this passage, Paul basically outlines all of his accolades. He, he declares all the things that, um, that he was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal persecuting, uh, a persecutor of the church, as for righteousness under the law, blameless. Really? I'm not sure to Christ's standards. But, but then he goes on, listen to what he says um, after listing his accolades. Paul says this, this is uh, Philippians 3. 8 and 9. Indeed, I count everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. It's all a loss. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Jesus, in Christ. The righteousness from God that, that depends on, what do you think it says? Faith. That depends on faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Man, Paul got it. He understood it. Um, you know, the Lord had, had revealed himself to, to him on the road to Damascus and he understood that we could never earn our way. It's only by the grace of God through the person of Jesus Christ that we ever come into his presence. So Paul says, God bless you, for I bear them witness. I can testify about them. I am one. I've been there. That they have zeal or passion. They have zeal. They are zealous for God, but not according to knowledge not based on accurate information. See, it's, it's not that they didn't have knowledge. It's not that God wasn't faithful to impart. You know, he used the prophets. He, he, sent, he sent his word. He, he established covenants. Um, man, God was faithful to, through sacrificial systems, through all of the, the elements of the Jewish people, all the privileges they, and, the, and the advantages they were given. God made himself known to them. And rather than seeing all of that pointing to Jesus, the fruition of all the promises and covenants, they saw it as a way to earn their way to God and to earn his favor. It's not that they were unaware. It's just they didn't want to be aware. And that's true as we look through all the, the, you know, I mean, uh, Paul throughout this text is constantly referencing Moses in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, he's, he's referencing the prophet Isaiah. And so this is not a new posture for Israel. Israel has been in this defiant, disobedient posture in, in almost every venue they've been in, whether it's in, this, in the desert or it's in the promised land or whether it's in Babylon in exile or, or Syria. It doesn't matter where they've been. They've been in this defiant posture until we, we see it most evident with the judges. You know, God, uh, the, the people uh, just you know, get into a sinful posture towards the Lord and then they fall to their knees. They beg the Lord for mercy. God raises up a judge and, and, uh, and they repent. And, uh, and then they go back and it's this huge cycle of eight or nine different judges that they continue to repeat. 
The people Paul loved, the Jews, were so busy trying to keep the law that their zeal was actually keeping them from understanding Christ, God's way of salvation. This was exactly Paul's state of mind before Christ confronted him, as we just looked at. He was so zealous for God and for his religion that he persecuted the church. And we see this in Acts chapter 8 and 9. So here's a statement I came across this week in study. And I thought, Trevor actually mentioned a portion of this a couple of weeks ago. And, uh, and listen to this. Zeal without knowledge or understanding is fanaticism. And, and even terrorism. When we, when we get passionate and excited about things we don't understand, people get hurt. And the, the pinnacle of this is the example of the cross. That's the ultimate expression of terrorism. Is that they were so fanatical about righteousness as it relates to the law that they actually put righteousness on a cross, which was the very purpose of God. And there's the sovereignty of God and the will of man. So Romans 3 continues this way. For Romans 10 verse 3 says this, For being ignorant... Now, I want to mention here um, this, not because the information wasn't, was unavailable. Okay, this isn't that kind of ignorance. This is chosen ignorance. Does that make sense? Just, I, I want to be blind to this because I want to do what I want to do. They didn't think it through. And you ever, you ever have told a child or you've been in a situation with, oh, you should have known better? They should have known better. So the, the verse reads, For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own what? Righteousness. They did not submit to God's righteousness. What it, who is God's righteousness? They didn't submit to Christ. They didn't, they didn't yield to Christ. They were in such a, a defiant posture as they related to him. And, and all along, every, all the law, all the prophets, everything that God was doing through the temple and sacrifice, everything was meant, meant to point to him that he was the one that was going to satisfy the law on their behalf. And instead of being thrilled by his arrival, they, I mean, he even shows up initially and the king, the present king of the Jews, before he was even two years old, wanted to take his life. And it didn't end there. This was, this was powerful. Listen to what this says. The Israelites did not understand the extent of God's righteousness, how it would be achieved or how it would be made available to all people. That's, what, that's exactly what Paul was pointing out in chapters 3 through 6 in this very letter. Instead, they sought to establish their own righteousness. They were not, they were not creating some new kind of righteousness. Rather, they wanted to achieve God's righteousness by observing the law and their rituals. Once their minds were set, they could no longer, their minds were set. They, and you know that is, that's a, a posture of unrepentance, stiff-necked, unwilling to turn, to repent. Once, um, once their minds were set, they could no longer submit to God's righteousness, the righteousness that God provided for them through faith in Jesus Christ. See, we're all, we're all made righteous. We can't we can't achieve this on our own. And, and again, I'm, when I say righteous, right standing with God. We can't just wander into God's throne room. In the Old Testament, we, you know, people understood that if I got in front of God, I would die because my sin, 
He would consume me because of my sin. But now there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Our our sin has been satisfied in the sacrificial work of Christ. He died not for his own sin, but for our sake. For the sin that was separating us from the Father. So now we could wander into the throne room of God and say, Hey, Daddy, um, I was wondering if you could uh, fill in the blank. Like we can walk into the God of the universe's presence. We have right standing with God through the person of Jesus Christ. So we don't achieve righteousness. We're made righteous by humbly submitting to God. The Israelites had understood the need for obedience, but they had become so zealous in carrying out their duties and rituals without love that they actually became disobedient. See, if we extract love as the motive from the law, then it's, it's no longer God's intention, God's heart. They misunderstood, that their, their own, they misunderstood their own scriptures. They saw righteousness in terms of outward actions and rituals and customs. They did not see that the scriptures pointed to Jesus as the Messiah, like everything was finding its fruition in Christ. Every, every promise is made yes in Jesus. When Israel rejected Christ, they rejected their own scriptures with the promises and blessings in them. Isn't that exactly what Jesus constantly said through a litany of ways? You know, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Like if, if, if you don't love me, you don't love him. If you don't know me, you, you surely don't know him. The only way to earn salvation is to be perfect. Anybody doing, doing all right with that? Got a track record? I mean, <laughs> and that is impossible, impossible. We can only hold out our empty hands and receive salvation as a gift. And here's the good news. God is postured to give it. Like he is in this loving mode to extend an invitation. In Luke chapter 14, when he's talking about the great feast, the banquet at the end of the age for those that are in Christ, he is saying, go out to the highways and byways, go beyond Israel, go to the Gentiles. You know, and this has been the plan from the very beginning. And extend the invitation to the lame, the broken, the blind, the poor. And that's us. Verse 4 says, For Christ is the end of the law, for basically what it's saying, for seeking one's own righteousness. That's what, that's what Christ is the end of the law. He's not, Jesus came to fulfill the law, but not to abolish it. The law still has purpose, but it doesn't, it doesn't get us right with God. Does that make sense? It just shows us we can't and that we need a substitute. We need the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. For Christ is the end of the law for those who are seeking one's own righteousness to everyone who believes in Christ. Like, that's the good news. That's the gospel. That's the hope of nations that the scriptures speak of. I like how the Amplified puts this. That is, the purpose of the law is fulfilled in him as the means of righteousness, right relationship with God. For everyone who trusts in and adheres to and relies on him. And God, you know, God doesn't send anybody to hell. He provides a way to heaven. God is, God is postured to rescue and to ransom people, nations. Um, but we must understand that there is only one way to the Father. However, Paul does not mean that the law has been cast aside and is no longer of any value. Jesus completed the law 
with the coming of Christ. And I love this. The puzzle that looked like it was going to be a picture of human righteousness suddenly turned out to be the picture of God's grace. Isn't that beautiful? Like all in that moment. Can you imagine when Peter taught that first sermon at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2? When, they, when it, it all just hit them. All of the cosmic stuff that was going on, all of the earthquakes, all of the, all of, and then the gospels preached, Joel, all the prophets are brought in, brought into, to understanding. And in that moment, they were cut to the heart and they said, what must we do to be saved? Can you imagine that moment when the puzzle was changed and the grace of God was, was, was revealed? Jesus did not change the law. He changed our way of seeing the law. What ended was the view that the law was the way to achieve righteousness and the belief that Israel was the only recipient of that righteousness. That all came to fruition. This, uh, this piece uh, that I came across this week was very powerful. So please have your, your ears on. Be ready to hear because this is powerful. Christ perfectly fulfilled the law. Then he gave his life to pay the penalty that we deserved for breaking the law. So instead of seeing ourselves uh, fearfully attempting to meet the, the demands of the law with death as its consequence for failure, we are now freely invited to see ourselves in Christ. His righteousness becomes our righteousness. When we believe in him, he gives us righteousness and makes us acceptable to God. When, when, when God said a couple times in Jesus's ministry, God says, this is my, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Do you know that for us, and we've said this before, but if we are in Christ, that God is pleased with us because of his righteousness, that God is pleased. I mean, sometimes, I mean, do you, do you live with that freedom, that, 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 that truth as a banner over your life, do, do we allow the enemy to speak guilt and condemnation into our circumstances? Or do we live under the banner of liberation that declares that we've been set free? If you have the Son, you are free indeed. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Like this is, this is God. And it's God's will. It's God's work. It's God's way in Christ. So good. Faith is the way of righteousness. The law is no longer a system of salvation. That's what we must understand. That part of the law has been satisfied. It is no longer a system of salvation. It didn't work but for one person. Obey the law and you will live. Obey the commandments and you will. Jesus did and he did. And now he's given us his life. And because we have his life, we are the light of men. We are the light of the world. Now, this is what we do with the law now. Now we obey the law to please and to express thanksgiving to the Lord. And we do that with the help of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's surely there's aspects of the law that have been satisfied like the sacrificial system and what Christ has completed, what he's done. But there's other aspects of the law that just help us to understand what God's will and desire and word is so that we can be so that we can love him with our lives. Romans chapter five, uh, chapter ten verse five goes on to say, and this this you know throughout this text, um, Paul is referencing the Old Testament, um, and keep in mind the the New Testament hadn't been canonized yet for several hundred years, 
And so their, their text was what we know as the Old Testament. They would have known it if in Greek as the Septuagint, right? Because most of them would have been reading that at that point. And he was referencing these passages. And this particular verse references Leviticus 18.5, if you're making, taking notes. It says, For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. Okay, surely that's true. I mean, that's fact. If, if, if you can obey all the law and follow them to perfection. But there's a problem, right? James chapter 2, verse 10 says, For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. Jesus never stumbled. Aren't you thankful? He never stumbled because his eyes was fixed on the Father and his heart was pursuing you. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father. Like, man, if, that's, if, this, if this is not a love letter, what is it? If this isn't a redemptive um, book for those that, that he's redeeming, what is it? It's God declaring his love. Christ is the only one to meet the righteous requirements of the law. And so he lives. Jesus, and, and this, is, this is the grace. This is, this is what like overwhelms me is Jesus extends his righteousness to us, his reward, his victory to us in a great expression of grace. Like he, he's the only one that did it. And then he, he not only did it and goes, oh, by the way, no, he did it with the intention of giving it to us. Like that, that was, that's, he couldn't wait to come. And to be, he raced to Jerusalem when the time was right and God had called him and nothing was going to get in the way. Verse 6, But the righteousness based on faith says, and this, this whole next three verses, 6 through 8, is, uh, is really discussing Deuteronomy 30 verses 1 to 14. So if you're writing stuff down, write that down because you really want to go back and look at that today. We don't have time to do that this morning, but, but this is what he's talking about here. Moses is talking to Israel and, uh, and telling them, hey, look, God's, God's done it all. You don't have to cross the seas and go over. Like God has done it all. You just need to have faith in him. But verse 6 says, But the righteousness based on faith says... Now this is what righteousness based on faith and not on works says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend to heaven, that is to bring Christ down. See, no one can scale the mountain of heaven. No one can bring Christ down as though, as though uh, he had not been already incarnate. Like as if we can, as if we can, uh, we can do what God did for us by, by putting himself in flesh. Like who who on this planet is possibly going to to bring to put God in flesh for on our behalf? No, that's something that that God has done. God has purposed. And and uh, one of the things that Paul is really getting at here is is we can't add to to Christ's finishing work, not before or after. This uh, this was good. Christ Himself has already come in the flesh. The attitude that Paul is attacking in the assumption that one's righteousness can, can contribute to God's saving plan, that one's self-righteousness, is self-righteousness goes looking for God. That's what self-righteousness does. Goes looking for God, seeking to find Him. Righteousness by faith begins by submitting to God and Him finding us. Doesn't that make sense? Like we don't have, we don't have the power to ascend to heaven or to the depths and to bring Christ uh, down or up. But God does and did. 
And he did it in, in, a, in a compassionate act of love. And so salvation is found in him alone. Verse 7 continues with answering the same, but righteousness based on faith says this as well. Or who will descend into the abyss? The abyss is the grave or uh, the place of the dead. That is to bring Christ up from the dead. I like how the Amplified kind of commentary has a commentary on this as this passage is read. As if we could be saved by our own efforts. That's the point that Paul is making. As if we could do what God has done for us in Christ. Never. No one has to go into the grave to bring Christ up from the dead. Christ has already been resurrected. That's the good news. And how did that happen? Through the power and the will of God. For the purpose of God being realized. The love of God being expressed. God is everywhere. In Psalms, uh, in Psalms uh, I think it's 139. Um, seven and don't quote me on that. It's somewhere in Psalms 139, but I think it's seven and eight. You know, the psalmist is saying, where can we go to get away from you, Lord? Like if we go to the heavens, you're there. If we go to the depths, you're there. Wherever we go, you're there. Um, but we can't reach him. He must reach out or down to us. And that is exactly what he has done in Christ. As long as we insist on doing the finding, we will discover that the reach, that the search never ends. But if we begin by trusting God, we, dis- we discover that he is to be found right where we are. Isn't that amazing? And we quickly realize that we were the ones that were lost. And that, is, that, that, that builds such great gratitude in our heart. Does that make sense? For those that have been found, aren't you grateful? And as we continue to, to, to witness that and, and to, to, to allow that to sink. And that's what, that's what zeal without knowledge. Like we need to, part of knowledge is just continuing to search the scriptures and meditate on them and allow these things to, to be thought through deeply and to sink deeply into our, into our thoughts and minds and hearts so that we become these, these men and women of great gratitude and faith and thanksgiving. And that's the work of God. Because faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Like, so the more we get into God's word and the more the God's word penetrates our hearts, the more faith is, is. you ever wondered how, how do I increase my faith? Because it's, it, it, the benefit of faith is incredible. What overcomes the world? Faith. Like you, you got some things going on in your life. You know what God says overcomes the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony, but faith, faith. And so, and how is faith increased? You know, faith comes from hearing. Hearing what? Hearing the very word of Christ. Hearing God's word. Verse 8 says, what, what does it, but what does it say? In other words, it's talking about righteousness by faith. Okay, so what does it, righteousness by faith, say? The word in this, in this section is talking about God's message in Christ is near you, in your mouth and in your hearts. That is the word. Basically, the message, the, the object, and the, the, uh, the basis of salvation and righteousness, of faith that we proclaim. Like, it is near us. Like, it's, it's here for the believing. It's here for the asking. Um, this morning, I was uh, doing a mic check, and the verse that the Lord brought to mind was, was uh, Philippians 4.4. 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. For what? The Lord is near. Like he, he, is, he, is, he has postured himself for us to then 
to believe and receive, you know, and, and uh, to call out to him. Just as God's message was already clear to the people of Moses' day, and this is the point that Paul's making, so it is as, as near as the mouths and hearts to Paul's readers, including us. The words convey an immediate opportunity to respond. The, the, the scriptures say, today is the day of salvation. Man, when, whenever you, it breaks my heart because I can relate to it. I remember those days where I was like, uh, I don't want to become a Christian yet, you know, in my late teens, because then I'll just be singing hymns all day and, and nothing will be fun. Right, you know, the, the the enemy sows these lies, you know, into our thinking that are just—I mean—that's abundant life. This this is far richer than the moments that I was living in in lostness and brokenness and 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 relational conflict. Man, <laughs> those are lies, and God is so near and ready to receive our declaration of belief, as He calls us to. He's provided. Ah. Uh, including, uh, excuse me, the word conveys an immediate opportunity to respond. It is as close and available to us as it can possibly be without overruling our will. What message is that? Salvation is available through faith in Jesus Christ and that God is postured to rescue. So verse 9 basically says, how near? That's the question that Paul's answering. How near? Because verse 9 says, because if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. Man, what does it mean to confess Jesus as Lord? The word Lord is used in the Septuagint in the, or in the Greek text to, to, uh, to depict God's um, name that the Hebrews wouldn't even utter, wouldn't even speak Yahweh. And so Lord, uh, and, and to declare him Lord is to say that you're, you're in charge, which is the reality anyway, but now we are putting ourselves under his sovereign reign. We are submitting to his rule. We're saying, you call the shots. I love Miss Carol came in today. Her hat says Jesus is the boss. You know, that, that, that's, that's the truth, but is that the reality of, of our lives? We've got to get off the throne and just submit it to the Father and say, Jesus, you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I long for you to... to and we confess that with our mouth and we believe that in our heart. And th- this thing, this is not two separate things. It's kind of like it's two sides of the same coin. It's like, what do we call a step? Lifting our foot and putting it down. That's, that's a step. It's the same thing. We confess with our mouth... Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. In 1 Corinthians 15, um, and it says you will be saved. That's a promise. In 1 Corinthians 15, 17, it says it this way. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. I read it in a positive connotation. But Christ has been raised. Your faith is not futile and you are not in your sins. Hello? Hello? You know, that's good news. And then later on in that same passage in verse 20 and 21, it says this. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man, speaking of Adam, came death, by a man came, um, came also the resurrection of the dead. And we were dead in our trespasses and sin as God has made us alive in Christ. Made us alive in Christ. What a glorious thing. The gospel message in a nutshell is believe and confess Jesus as Lord and you will be saved. 
There is no reference to works or rituals there. There's no, there's no self in that. I mean, us with a, with a, a, a surrendered posture to open our hands and God depositing life. Lord, Lord, as I mentioned uh, about Yahweh, but also in, in, a, uh, in a culture of Rome, it would have been your royal highness. Your, they would have called Caesar Lord. And this is what is being declared. Uh, and Christ is the king of kings. Lord is intended to represent the highest authority, authority in whom we submit. And so the obvious question at this moment, is, is it that simple? I mean, I'm sure the, the, the Jewish people struggled with that. Like, man, look, I, I've got a resume here, as Paul unpacks in, in Philippians 3. I've been doing it this way, and we've been doing it this way for thousands of years. Man, I'm not giving that up just to, just to believe, just to have faith. Is it that simple? But it's not, is it? Man, we still need help from God to believe. We need something to believe in, something significant, something bigger than ourselves. And then we just need the, the faith to do it, and that's a gift so that we might believe and receive this gift of righteousness, what, what allows us the privilege of being God's presence, not just for today and tomorrow, but for all eternity. This is the gift of God in Christ Jesus. And then Paul continues to unpack what it means to confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead and be saved. In verse 10, he says, for with the heart, you know, as I, I try, because it's so good to just, Meditate on God's word. Have you done that? I, I encourage you to do this. Don't just read it. Listen to it and, and think about it. Meditate it. it. The word means to chew the cud, like, like to, to bring it back up and continue to, to think about it and to process it and let God kind of, you know, massage it into our thing. Cause he's ultimately, the Holy Spirit is ultimately the teacher. He's ultimately the one that's going to instruct us. And, you know, the spirit will come and he will lead you into all truth and remind you of everything that I have said. So he reminds us of the truth and he leads us to the truth. And um, and then so when he says here for with the heart, see, the heart is a token of of everything that we are. I mean, like when you say to a significant other, I give you my heart. I mean, what are you saying? I give you everything. It's the token of what we are. And so he says, with, your, with the heart, one believes and is justified. And justified meaning that, you know, our sins are washed away permanently and that we're ushered into the presence of God. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. So it starts with our heart. So do you believe that God has forgiven your sins in Christ? Do you believe that? Man, if you struggle with that this morning, if you're here and, and that's a struggle for you, let me tell you a very legitimate prayer. And it was from a daddy that wanted his son healed. And he said to Jesus, I believe, but help my unbelief. And do you know what Jesus did? He healed his son. Do you think that helped his unbelief? <laughs> you know, this is what God wants to do. God's not trying to be a mystery to us. He's not trying to be foreign. He's near He's near, he's as near as heart's belief and mouth confession. That's how near he is. That's how close he is. So these two parts, as I mentioned earlier, are, are a single step, just as lifting the foot and then placing it back down and, uh, are two movements in one act of taking a step. Likewise, uh, one cannot be saved without being justified, nor justified without being saved. They, they're a complement to one another. They're, they're the same. 
verse 11. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. This is a quote from Isaiah 28, verse 16. And, and what he's saying is, God will not disappoint you. What he's not saying that is, is that life won't be disappointing. Okay? Paul is not saying that Christians will never be disillusioned or disappointed. At times, people will let us down and circumstances will take a turn for the worst. Paul is saying that God will keep his side of the bargain. Those who call on him will be saved. God will never fail to provide righteousness for those who believe. Is that not good news? Isn't it, isn't it, just, isn't it glorious to know that God is faithful? That we can, we, can, we can walk in his word. We can live based on the authority of his word and the faithfulness of his character. That God is good all the time and every time. Listen to what Isaiah twenty-eight sixteen, because that's what Paul's talking about here. It says this. So this is what the sovereign Lord says. See, I lay a stone in Zion. Hmm, interesting. A tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. He's talking about Jerusalem. He's talking about Jesus. And this is 700 years before he's on the scene. It says, the one who trusts will never be dismayed. Never. God is pointing to the the, the Jewish nation, the Israelite people. He's pointing them to this promised Messiah that's coming and that he would be the, the cornerstone. Verse 12 defines the everyone from verse 11. So as we look at verse 12, it defines the everyone from verse 11. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him for salvation. Like, that, that's, that's the all. That's the everyone. God has expanded his reach using his, his peculiar people, his royal priesthood, the Jewish nation, to be a light to the nations. God has, has brought to fruition his, his eternal purpose to rescue humanity. Every person is confronted with the need to acknowledge Jesus as Lord. Everyone out there will have to face that, that question. Why? Because sin is a universal condition. Everyone faces it. If we trust or call, we will not be put to shame. And then verse 9 tells us, or verse 12 tells us, we will be blessed. So if we, if we, uh, if we call on the name of the Lord, if we believe, if we trust in Him, you know what? We're we're never going to be disappointed in God and his faithfulness and we're going to be blessed beyond riches. And the ultimate riches, God is the great reward, the scriptures tell us. And it concludes with this, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is from Joel chapter 2, verse 32, if you want to write that down. Because that that scripture is so, I'm going to read it for you. It says this, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now keep in mind, this is over 400 years before Christ hit the scene because God was silent. And, and Joel was one of the minor and the, and the latter prophets. And he says, it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know, you know who put, we see uh, in the New Testament, is, had, has put, had put confidence in this? Remember, Jesus comes and it's time for his dedication to the temple. And there's a lady by the name of Anna and there's a guy by the name of Simeon. And he was, they were waiting on the consolation of Israel. Waiting. That, that was a statement of faith. A statement of God's going to fulfill his promise. And it says that she was, I mean like, 
84, but some even speculate that she had, that was after she had, her husband had died. She was an old woman. And here she is, and it says that she lived in the temple. She breathed in the, that's where she, she, she stayed day after day, night after night, waiting on the consolation of Israel. So not everybody was in this, this posture of missing Christ's arrival. But it says, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in, in Mount Zion, remember this from the previous verse in, in Isaiah twenty-eight sixteen, And in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord, what? Calls. Calls. God's plan for Israel had their climax in Jesus. Like everything in the Old Covenant finds its fruition and yes, in Christ. Access to God for all people now comes through the person of Jesus Christ. And that's, that's what makes him our Savior. That's what, that's, he is so rightful to the throne of Lord the Lord of Lords. Have you submitted to him today? Have you yielded your life? Have you given him your heart? You know, I love the illustration. There was a, this was in Scotland years and years and years ago. This, this preacher preached an amazing message about giving to the Lord financially and, uh, and, and how we have been given, everything we've been given is from, is a gift from above and how we should give as we've been given and God loves cheerful givers. And this was the message. And so the end of the service comes and this little boy, maybe five years old, true story, um, comes to the back and, the, and the, uh, the ushers are back there counting the money. And, uh, and the little boy comes up and looks at him and says, I want to give. And, uh, and they're like, okay, you can, you can give, we'll get you. The, you know? And he, he, he motions to the usher to lower the plate. And he puts the plate on the ground and the little boy stands in it. Guys, that's it. That's, that's what God wants, deserves. That's, that's it. God, we give him our hearts. We give him our lives. We say, where you go, I'll go. I will follow you. I will serve you with my life. That's what God is after when we proclaim him as Lord Verse 14 through verse 21 is this incredible passage that I want you guys to look at this afternoon. Be students, please. Man, search the scriptures. That's what Sabbath is for. It's a date day with the Lord. It's an opportunity to spend more time in his word that we can't do when we're working for six days. It's a great day for us to, 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 to sit with him and to ponder these things. Man, don't walk out the door on a Sunday morning and not Continue to reflect upon what God has taught uh, this morning or whenever. Man, continue to process. Go to lunch with people and, uh, and, and ask, man, what did you get out of the message this morning? And what is the Lord teaching you right now? And, and discover those things together and search the scriptures and find this to be, man, do you find that there's so many things to pray about that sometimes in your quiet time there's not enough time? You got Sundays. You got Sabbath, man. Let that be a day of like concentrated prayer. Set that aside. It goes on, and I'm going to read through these passages quickly as we close. How, how, then, how then will they call on him who they have not believed? And how will they believe in him on whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without someone preaching or announcing or proclaiming? Sometimes we read this passage and we're going, come on, pastor, get with it, because they need to hear. When God is saying, man... I have every saint 
every, every, every child of God is commissioned to announce the good news, to be a witness. I will clothe you with power from on high so that you might be my witnesses. Tell your story of grace. Verse 15. And how will they be, uh, how will they, how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Do you know that you have been sent? If you have been given the Holy Spirit, you have been commissioned to the, the mission field. And it might not be Africa. It might be the guy across the street or the coworker next to you, or it, it might be your family, but just be, and here's the good news. God will do it through you. He's promised by his spirit that he'll put the words in your mouth at the moment that they're needed. And boy, doesn't that take faith? I don't know what I'm going to say. This. Man, if you've never had the joy of just God, just opening your mouth and speaking the gospel to someone else, it is the greatest joy in the path because you have just satisfied your purpose. And God allows us to be a part of this. This whole passage comes from Isaiah 52, verse 7, this piece in chapter verse 15. And it's where, it's where Isaiah is talking about like they're, in, they're going to be in Babylon and uh, the good news is they're going to be exiled. The good news is coming. They're going to be, they're going to be set free from bondage. And this is the, the obvious, like the, the most profound you know, uh, fruition of this is Christ <laughs> releasing us from the bondage of sin and death. And Paul makes that connection through the Holy Spirit and says, how good, how beautiful, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Man, you know, it's actually a part of the full armor of God, the shoes of readiness to the gospel of peace. It's one of the ways that we 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 literally protect ourselves from the enemy is by sharing the gospel. It's powerful. All believers are sent to announce the good news. All of us. Those who, who were beautiful, uh, those feet were beautiful because they represented the messenger's willingness to be sent with the good news. Verse 16 says, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. So Paul's saying, look, like this isn't new. Israel has failed to honor God's word for a millennium. Like they have constantly had this posture of rejecting what God's word has said. Um, and he says, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what we have, what is, what is, what, who has believed what he has uh, heard from us? So like this isn't a new experience. Like if you're out there sharing the gospel and it's not always welcomed, um, you're in good company. Jesus, Moses, Isaiah, you know, like as, as the gospel, the promises and the covenants of God are established, man, there was a lot of rejection and they faced that disappointment. Bringing people good news does not guarantee a welcome. But having, but having been changed by the message ourselves ought to change the way that we see those. That's the key. See those who have not yet heard. We are not held responsible for how others respond, but we are expected to carry the good news to the broken, the poor, and the lost. And then I finish this passage and it says this. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of or about Christ. That's where faith comes. So as we speak to others, let's speak about what the word of Christ has to say. Let that become our conversation. Let that become our mouthpiece. 
Let's speak words of... I was listening to Toby Mac this morning getting ready. And it was like, speak life. You ever heard that song? Speak life. I'm not going to sing it, but... Speak life, man. Like, and we, we, can, we have a choice. With every word that we give, we have a choice. And are we going to allow those words to be the seed of the gospel? Or are we just going to speak random words and talk about the weather? Verse 18. But I ask, what, uh, what uh, have they not heard? Have they not heard? Indeed, they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth their, and their words to the ends of the world. That's, that's Psalms uh, 19.4. And what it, what's saying that you know, the heavens declare the glory of the Lord, that, 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 you know, that man is, in, in chapter 1, it says, man is without excuse for, for creation itself is evidence of God. Jesus said when he was, walk, he was coming into uh, Jerusalem, it says, listen, you, you want to be silent? The rocks will cry out. Like, yes, creation in a general revelation depicts the glory of God. But I believe what Paul is saying here is, is at this point in the game, Paul, the, the gospel had been preached to the Jewish nation, had been preached to the Jewish nation. But their posture was inappropriate. We see this in verse 21. And then as we finish, but I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, it wasn't because of lack of understanding. I will, I will make you jealous for those who are not, my, not a nation. What is he talking about? The Gentiles. Right? With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Man, if you're not going to respond out of just sheer obedience, then I, I'm going to, I'm going to rescue those that weren't even looking for me or trying or seeking me. And, and, and hopefully that's going to, that's going to make a difference. Someone might then argue, okay, so the Jews heard, but perhaps they didn't understand the, the, uh, the that God's message of, uh, was salvation, not by law, but by faith. And that it was for the Gentiles too. But God's purpose, and don't miss this, would not be to reject his people, but to cause them to return to him. That's always God's heart. And then we finish. And this last two verses as we close is from Isaiah 65. This is what Moses, or I mean, Paul is quoting is from the, the prophet Isaiah uh, chapter 65, verses one and two. And he says this. So, so none of this is, this isn't fresh. This is, this is, this is, uh, you know, like a, an indictment on Israel and their disbelief. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. Speaking of the Gentiles, but of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands. When you read that in its context, it's talking about a hand of welcome and provision or blessing. That's what he's talking about there. Like all day long, I have extended myself to Israel, to a disobedient and contrary people. See, we must understand that God is faithful to his promises and his people. Even though they have been unfaithful to him, God still, God still to today holds out his hand to the nation of Israel. And we're going to talk about that as we go into chapter 11. Um, just this understanding about God's heart and his, his, how he pursues and never relents. And aren't we glad that God has pursued us? If you're here today and you have never declared Christ Lord, if you're here today and you've never believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead, if you've never allowed your mouth to confess him as Lord and Savior, I encourage you to do that. And it's not just confessing to God. It's confessing to others that you might, um, that you might be incorporated into a body of believers, that, there, that you might be commissioned to a community of faith. And so if you've confessed Jesus as Lord today, would you stand to your feet? 
And if this is your first time, I would encourage you to say it out loud. And if it's not, say it with me. Jesus is Lord. And I encourage you to believe that in your heart, to confess that with your mouth, not just here where it's safe, but out there where you might be insulted and persecuted. Confess Jesus is Lord. Confess the gospel. Be those beautiful feet that bring the good news to those that are lost and dying without the righteousness of Christ by faith. Let's bow our hearts. Father, thank you that you have made provision for us in Jesus. And without the hope of Christ, we are lost. Thank you, Jesus, that you made a way where there was no way, where that you died the, the, and felt and experienced the wrath that was due our sin, knowing that the wages of sin is death. Lord Jesus, you embrace death so that we might live. Lord, that our lives would be so filled with gratitude and that we would be passionately ignited to the purpose of the gospel, that we would share this good news because this good news has found such great place and purpose and joy in our life. Find our lives worshiping you as we are living sacrifices for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.